Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. Before we begin the show today, uh, episode 100 is coming up, and there is still time for you to submit questions for me. So if you had a question about a former episode, or something I missed, or something you're curious about, how I make the podcast, my opinions about stuff, whatever... Uh, go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click the contact link, or send me a message on Facebook or Twitter. Either way, looking forward to answering your questions, and now, on with the podcast. Longtime listeners will recall that I used to live in Japan. If you are a Westerner living and working there, you will get the standard array of conversation openers, like, where are you from? And I would say, Portland. And nobody knew where that was. Or they will ask about differences between Japan and the U.S. and what I think of them. They'll ask about travel, where else I've been, that sort of thing. Go a bit deeper into the small talk pile, though, and you'll often find things like favorite movies, favorite TV shows, whether or not I had a girlfriend, that sort of thing. And sometimes people attempting to make light patter over a language barrier with this kind of weird Westerner they just met would ask me what my blood type was, and I would say, I have no idea. Folks generally found this extraordinarily weird. Uh, in Japan, almost everyone knows what their blood type is, both for medical reasons and also because over there, blood type is sort of like astrology. There is a popular belief that blood type contributes in a certain amount to personality characteristics, that type A's will act in one way, type O's another, etc. Again, it's kind of like astrology, but without all the cool constellations coming in nifty star shapes. Instead, it's just about, you know, blood. Dating sites, celebrity profiles, and descriptions of fictional characters will usually include blood types as a detail. Uh, when I was growing up, and I was a young video game dork, I remember opening up the instruction manual for Final Fantasy VII, and it showed the various characters and what types of weapons they used and how tall they were and their weight, and their blood type. And I remember thinking, that's really weird. Why would I care about what Cloud Strife's blood type was? But again, it's a Japanese game, and that is just considered right up there with height, weight, hair color, eye color, and sword preference. One thing I do want to clarify here before going further is that the whole blood type thing in Japan isn't really taken all that seriously by the medical establishment. Sure, plenty of people believe in it, just like a lot of Western folks think that Mercury being in retrograde really does something to them. But most educated folks know that it's BS. Uh, and anyone who is actually involved in the medical field or in the psychological field, they are not going to use blood type as their go-to for when they are diagnosing or examining somebody. Uh, one of my students that I had in Japan was a neuroscientist, and <laughs> this was a hobby horse of his. He expressed no shortage of exasperation at the persistent popularity of this pseudoscience in his country. So, Japanese doctors and scientists, they think it's weird. It's maybe a little bit more popular than astrology in the U.S., but it's not something that the intellectual establishment buys into. When I had my mandatory annual physicals that my job required, for instance, there wasn't any weird blood-type stuff. It was kind of like getting poked at by American nurses and doctors, i.e. it was uncomfortable and cold. So the origins of this belief are way weirder and more squicky than you might imagine. 
This is a fun little detail that shows up in celebrity profiles, but strap yourselves in because the origins are about to get uncomfortable. And when I say uncomfortable, I mean kind of racist. So back before it either was or was not China, depending on whom you ask, Japan occupied Taiwan, and this situation was not all that popular among the Taiwanese themselves, and in 1930 they rose up and resisted their occupiers, sometimes violently. I do not have time here to go into the Japanese occupation of Taiwan. That is highly fascinating, but that is a story for another time. What's important here is that there are non-Japanese being occupied by the Japanese, and they are rising up and resisting. Meanwhile, there are other different people being occupied by the Japanese, and they were not rebelling. That was the Ainu, the native people of Hokkaido. And I also hear, do not have time to go into the whole history of the Ainu. They are fascinating in their own right, but that is a story for another time. But they were not engaged in violent uprising against the ethnic Japanese. So, how can this be, right? There's one group that is rebelling, and there's another group that isn't. They're both occupied, they're both minorities, and there are probably all kinds of reasons to explain differing responses to occupation. There could be reasons related to economics, to environment, to culture, to all sorts of things. But Furukawa Tekaji said that it was all about blood types. Only a few years ago, in the late 1920s, Furukawa had published a paper called The Study of Temperament Through Blood Type in a journal called Psychological Research. Furukawa, by the way, didn't have any real credentials, and his work is no longer considered at all serious or credible. But at the time, in the late 1920s, it caught the eye of a few government officials who thought that maybe, hey, that information could be used to breed better soldiers. What's more... Furukawa suggested that, just maybe, the Taiwanese were up in arms because they had a predisposition to be like that. He estimated that over 40% of the folks in Taiwan had type O blood, which, he said, made them all aggressive and prone to rebellion. But fewer than 25% of the Ainu folks on Hokkaido had type O blood, so they just didn't have that angry up in their blood. They weren't as, like, resisty as the Taiwanese. So, in grasping for a weird and essentialist explanation of why ethnic minorities were a certain way and responded in a certain way to occupation, a fun little trivia box on celebrity profiles was born. Now, this idea about blood type and race and any possibility of it contributing to, you know, breeding better soldiers... Well, it kind of faded away during and after World War II. During and after World War II, Japan had a lot of other things to worry about, but it got revived. Just like in the United States with eugenics, just like in Germany during the Third Reich, there was no shortage of pseudoscience about race, about biology, about why certain people were certain ways uh, that showed up in Japan. Most of it went away. This, though, got turned into a popular book series in the 1970s. In 1971, a Japanese journalist called Nomi Masahiko revived the idea with a book called Understanding Affinity by Blood Type, a book that claimed to offer all kinds of explanations about how you could make your life better and your love life better and your professional life better if you understood your blood type. This popular self-help book, based on 
kind of uncomfortable racist stuff from before World War II was unfortunately a hit, and Nomi followed it up with five more books all about how the drippy red stuff inside of you controls your personality. Yes, he wrote six books on this. Six. It became a giant self-help phenomenon. This guy is like the bloody Japanese Dr. Phil who is reaching back to stuff before World War II to explain why Taiwanese people were so angry and using that as, well, his equivalent of a Dr. Akin series. As somebody who has spent a lot of time writing for newspapers and websites that have fact-checking departments and all that, stuff like this and stuff like The Secret and stuff like Dr. Oz and other things not rooted to reality or science kind of makes my blood boil. No pun intended. It's not really a pun, but you know what I mean. Sometimes I think that I and other journalists should get out of the truth and accuracy business and just try to cash in on writing BS. It seems easier and more popular. But you're also probably thinking, this is stupid. And yes, it is stupid. And it is not at all supported by any kind of good evidence. Having type O does not make you more likely to start a Taiwanese revolt. But human beings love this stuff. We fall for it really, really, really easily. There is a name for this effect, this effect where you see a list of personality traits and you go, oh yes, that is me, based on maybe not great evidence. It's called the Forer effect. It's named for a psychologist named Bertram Forer, who in 1948 played a kind of cruel trick on his class. He told them that they were all going to take a personality test, and that he, with all of his professional psycho powers, was going to give them a bespoke answer about what their deal was. The students took the test, handed in their results, and after class, Forer just ignored everything they'd written. The next week, he gave them their supposedly customized results, which included, quote, You have a great need for other people to like and admire you. You have a tendency to be critical of yourself. You have a great deal of unused capacity, which you have not turned to your advantage. While you have some personality weaknesses, you are generally able to compensate for them. Your sexual adjustment has presented problems for you. Disciplined and self-controlled outside, you tend to be worrisome and insecure inside. At times, you have serious doubts as to whether you have made the right decision or done the right thing. You prefer a certain amount of change and variety and become dissatisfied when hemmed in by restrictions and limitations. You pride yourself as an independent thinker and do not accept other statements without satisfactory proof. You have found it unwise to be too frank in revealing yourself to others. At times you are extroverted, affable, and sociable, while at other times you are introverted, wary, reserved. Some of your aspirations tend to be pretty unrealistic, and security is one of your major goals in life." Unquote. He asked students to rate how accurately they found results on a scale of 1 to 5. The average score was 4.26. The students all received the same results. All of them found themselves, saw themselves, in this very, very generally written broad description where they wanted to find confirmation. They wanted to see themselves. And that's how astrology works. Or things about blood types. Or BuzzFeed quizzes telling you which superhero you are. If it's written in a vague enough matter, 
there are certain universals and particulars that people will latch onto and say, yes, there it is. That's me. And it's deeply weird and fascinating that human beings constantly want to put themselves into groups. People want to divide themselves based on what their astrological sign is, what Hogwarts house they would be a member of, or which Ninja Turtle they most resemble. And I think that this is something that has contributed to Dungeons and Dragons' success. You know, in D&D, you have to choose whether or not you're a, you know, fighter or a rogue or a druid or a cleric or a sorcerer, etc. And it is comforting to slot oneself into a role. You have to define who you are and what you do. It gives you a certain amount of meaning. By giving someone defined characteristics, you implicitly give them a purpose. You give them characteristics to live out. This can be extraordinarily satisfying for human beings, because a great source of anxiety, I think, for humans, is that, as the existentialists say, our existence precedes our essence. Really, I know, I'm going to get into existentialism here, but just roll with it. We don't have a purpose, and we have to create stuff for ourselves. That can be extraordinarily stressful. This is a quotation from John Paul Sartre from his excellent essay, Existentialism is a Humanism. And if you've never read anything by Sartre or about existentialism, this lecture he gave that got turned into an essay is a great little existentialism 101. Sartre says, quote, For if indeed existence precedes essence, one will never be able to explain one's actions by reference to a given and specific human nature. In other words, there is no determinism. Man is free. Sartre is using, you know, sexist language. He obviously means humanity. Man is freedom. Nor, on the other hand, if God does not exist, are we provided with any values or commands that could legitimatize our behavior. Thus, we have neither behind us nor before us, in a luminous realm of values, any means of justification or excuse. We are left alone, without excuse. That is what I mean when I say that man is condemned to be free. Condemned, because he did not create himself, yet is nevertheless at liberty, and from the moment that he is thrown into this world, he is responsible for everything he does." Unquote. Taking refuge in the determinism of blood type, of astrological sign, of what D&D &D character you are, is a refuge from that sometimes stressful freedom. It provides us an escape from the burden of having to create ourselves, of having to create the world ourselves. It provides us a little bit of constraint that is just a thing when that free will, or at least the appearance of free will, becomes too much for us to handle. We are able to say, these are the tracks I am on. These are the characteristics I have. This is me. I am type O. I am a Libra. I took a BuzzFeed quiz, and it told me I'm Chewbacca. I do not believe in astrology, and the pseudoscience that led to Japanese people believing in blood types is just that. But I do understand why people go to that so often. And I also know something else. Ravenclaw. Without a doubt, I am totally a Ravenclaw. Hufflepuff sucks. Slytherins are evil. Gryffindors are jocks. I know where the sorting hat would put me. 
This is a 100% listener-supported ad-free podcast. To support the podcast, to sign up for a monthly donation, go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on the support link. That would be excellent and amazing of you, and thank you so much to everybody who has supported already. Uh, also, reviews are wonderful. Go on iTunes, give us stars and words, and that does something within iTunes' algorithm that lets more people know about the podcast. It triggers some kind of unknown alchemy within their site. So yeah, do that. Uh, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash interesting times with Joe Streckert. I am at Joe Streckert on Twitter. Thank you all very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>